So uh, it's good to be back. Um, was in uh, Colorado suffering for the gospel and um, on a little family vacation. Uh, been to Colorado a ton, beautiful place. The one thing that Colorado does for the amateur photographer is it makes them way better. And uh, I'm certainly an amateur photographer, but I thought in light of my vacation to share uh, some of the pictures that I took with, yes, my iPhone uh, 5S. Um, we're in Grand Lake, uh, Colorado. That's a picture I took right there. Um, let me tell you a little bit something about Grand Lake. Uh, John Elway has a home at Grand Lake, okay? If John Elway has a home there, come on now, right? Uh, he knows Peyton Manning, right? Um, beautiful place. The, the Hallmark card founders have a home there at Grand Lake. Just a, I've been all over the world. This is one of the most beautiful places ever. I also took this picture. Uh, this was pretty cool. And I, I know this doesn't look real, but it, it's very real. And I know it looks like it came from some card, like with a cheesy tagline at the bottom, like, you know, there is one road that leads to heaven or something. But, uh, but I took this, and um, it's very beautiful. And then just because I, like, started frolicking like a gazelle through the grass just because it... Anyway, next um, slide. Um, I took that as well. Uh, this was... Uh, I actually had Dawson, my son, do this. We were praying in faith that he could walk on water, and uh, he went for it. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's beautiful, right? It's like if, if the Lord was to come back, he would just come back right over the crest of that mountain. I mean, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Now, uh, before we turn this last picture, I'm telling you what this, this next picture happened, okay? We were at dinner one night, <clears throat> eating dinner, as you do when you go to dinner, and, um, and I walk outside... And I'm serious. This happened right here. Check this out. Check this out. Okay. Come on now. The double rainbow. <laughs> and it's, it's like not even on the cover of Lucky Charms. I mean, this is like legitimate double rainbow. So, okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now... As you all do on Instagram and Facebook, which I have neither, never will, um, Lord help me when I do, um, uh, as all of you all do, you share these things, okay? So, you know, if you have Insta, whatever it's called these days, you, you throw it up, um, you know, on there, seeking people to hit like or whatever it is that, you know, all of you guys do, I don't know. Um, I, don't, I don't have those things, okay, because I believe they're from Satan, um, but what I... What I do do is uh, I texted these to some friends. And so inevitably, um, every friend that I texted this to had a very similar reaction. So let me show you. that uh, This is from one of my friends. So I send the first picture, and he first says thanks. And then he says dece, which is short for decent. Um, he was kind of being a smart aleck. You know, he, obviously, this was much more beautiful. And then I was like, okay, apparently that one didn't grab his heart. Uh, so then I tried again. And sent him the, the Grand Lake panoramic. And then he said the capital J word, jealous. <laughs> um, I know many of you guys, this is before your time, but have any of you guys ever heard of Casey Kasem? All right. R.I.P. He, um, he would host, when I was growing up, the, the Top 40 Countdown. All right. Think about the Top 40 Countdown if it started with the first like the number one song in the land. Like if Casey Kasem were to open the whole thing, he was like, all right, everyone, welcome. Who's, who's Ring? 
Is this, are you serious right now? I heard something jiggle around, but... Here, I'll, I'll help him. There we go. There we go. There we go. Do I need to hold this for you? I know the story's compelling, but come on. Um, <laughs> so think about if Casey Kasem started with the number one song, right? He's like, all right, everybody, the number one song in the land. Like, who would still be listening at song number 35? You know what I mean? Like, people would fade out. There, there's anticipation that needs to build. He saves the best for last, right? I'm wondering, I'm wondering if that was God's philosophy in the Ten Commandments. I'm wondering if a piece of what God did was save the best for last. Now, I'm not going to put a stamp on an answer because I don't know. But I will tell you this, the Tenth Commandment is, in my humble opinion, the most intense because it deals with the core of our heart on a minute-by-minute basis. Though certainly that could be said of other commandments, this is one that deals with you very, very differently than the others. There's so much to say tonight. And for every single one of us, this will not only be relevant, it will not only be real, it will not only be confrontational, but I pray in the end, will be merciful and gracious. That said, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Our seventh week in the Ten Commandments, quick math says we didn't do one a week, but almost. We've been in Exodus for a long time. This Tonight we'll end our journey through the Ten Commandments. We're going to start here in verse 17. I'm going to read all the way through verse 21, and we'll deal with all of these passages uh, together. I'm so thankful while I was gone uh, for Jared. Again, just continues to be such an encouragement in his teaching. And um, Man, what a brilliant, brilliant guy. I appreciate his vulnerability last week too. So thanks again to Jared uh, for preaching so well last week. Let's start here in verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox. And some of you are like, my neighbor doesn't have an ox, so I am therefore exempt. (laughs) Or his donkey. Again, no donkey. I'm exempt. Or anything that that is your neighbor's, okay? So all those who thought you were exempt no longer, okay? Verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. And when they stood far off, they said to Moses in verse 19, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. Verse 21, finally. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. There is so much here. This is going to be a ton of fun. Verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Well, first we need to define the word covet. Everyone say, Hamad. Weak sauce. Hamad. Come on. Thank you. It means um, to desire. Uh, Another way to say it would be uh, to lust after. And in terms of the 10th commandment, it's lusting after things that others have, which I know none of you ever do. Um, Just think of today. 
just today, just take today for an example. In fact, more specifically, think about right now. Uh, you walk in here and the potential to covet other uh, people and what they're wearing instantaneously smacks you in the face, right? Some of you guys walk in here, you're like, oh, she didn't get those shorts at JCPenney. You know, those shoes would be nice, right? Uh, you start coveting the relationships that are in here, right? Like you see some relationships that are holding hands and worshiping together and whispering, you know, and you're already, you know, thinking in your mind and coveting your mind and thinking that they're probably saying, oh, isn't Jesus so awesome? Let's just be, let's get married and be together forever. Praise God. You know, like you're picturing all this, right? While you stand next to your budding relationship, right? And you look, at, you know, and, and there's like, they're not even singing, you know, their armpits smell. I mean, you're somewhat disgusted, right? So there's just all this potential to covet. You, you start coveting the people that have kids. You want kids. You start coveting the people that don't have kids because you don't want yours, okay? Uh, the, the potential, you're, you're coveting in the parking lot the person that rolls up in the 04 convertible Mustang, right, while you're rocking the 98 Focus, okay? I mean, there's, there's I mean, the, the potential to covet is literally all around us. Imagine yourself today driving down the road, the potential to see the billboard and the scantily clad whatever it was, and instantly you thought in your mind that you needed to be that. Think about the television you watched today and the opportunity to covet. I mean, think about the conversations you had and while other people were talking in your heart, you were cursing them because you were coveting. Covetousness gets so deep that we covet ourselves. We covet previous seasons of our life. We were more happy, had much more money, you know, were in a deeper relationship, had better what we thought likes of others. I mean, this issue, guys, is all around us because of these reasons. These things are always prevalent. Next slide. These things are always a reality. Now, go to my uh, list of reasons why. There is always someone with more. There's always someone who can do more. There's always someone who seems worth more. And there's always someone who is liked more than me. I'm telling you right now, this is intense because these things are all around us all the time. And all of us right now, like, it, it, you just start to sit back and you start to realize, if this is your issue, I mean, this is a massive, massive issue. So, so far on the Ten Commandments, list of the commandments, please, this is what we've seen. No other gods, no carved images. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. No murder, no adultery, no stealing, no false witness. But this coveting, all of these seem to deal mostly with actions. But coveting gets right to the heart. Did God save the best for last? Did he save the one that we would deal with on the most day-to-day -day basis? Or, or did he save coveting because coveting would somehow encompass all of the rest of those? His strategy is interesting. Now, I want to give you a gauge, a thermometer, if you struggle with these things, okay? Here's three reasons that you know you definitely struggle with coveting. The first, if you're always the victim. You know who you are because you're readily admitting it now that you're the victim because that's part of victimization, you know? Oh, that's me. I'm, I'm the victim. Do you, you need me to raise my hand? Should we stand up? You need me to come to the front, you know? The victim... Um, always says, woe is me. The victim always is uh, getting it worse than other people. The victim is always drawing, listen, always drawing attention to themselves. That's why the victim in the church community is so devastating. 
And so the problem starts coming when there's collections of victims. And then they're called the church. When there's collection of victims, then what's happening is all the focus is on man and it's taking away from the attention of Christ. There is nothing in Nate's testimony as he shared and as I've been journeying with him for two weeks that has any hint of victimization. And if there's one person tonight that has reason to complain, I would say it's him. And yet, what's his perspective? No, like here we are in desperate need of God. God, please do a work. But we're not saying woe is me. We're saying to God be the glory. So listen, if you're the victim, if you always got something to complain about, if you're always like trying to draw attention to yourself, I'm just telling you right now, your heart is completely covetous. And, I, and I'm going I'm to map out how that works and functions here in a second. I just want you to identify yourself, which you're already so great at. All right? Next. If you have a hard time extending grace to others, you may be like, well, what does, that, what does this have to do with coveting? Let me explain. If you have a hard time extending grace to others, then what you're doing in your heart is you're believing that you're more deserved of grace than those around you, which instantly puts all of the people around you on some status scale. So you're constantly measuring everyone else. You're constantly putting in your mind everyone on some scale. You deserve grace, you don't. That's sin, that's way too bad. Who you are, what you did, especially to me, no, hell for you, right? But you, oh, you're so sweet to me, you encourage me. You know what, let's give, let's give you some grace. Well, the reason why this is coveting at its core is because all of the focus and the attention is on what you deserve and what others do not. And so it's the reverse, as it were, of coveting. It's huge. If you struggle extending grace to others, then your heart is covetous, okay? Finally, you struggle with coveting if you make impulsive decisions based on people around you. Come on now, right? And I, I, don't, I don't know because I'm going I'm to assume some things. I know sometimes ladies go shopping together. Does this happen? It's like when they go to the bathroom together. They always go in community. I'm still not sure why this happens. You know, it's like bathroom accountability partners, you know? I, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. And you're not laughing now, um, maybe because, like, the truth hurts, you know? <laughs> hey, let's all go together, make sure things go okay, you know? Oh, that's a, you know, anyway. Um, <clears throat> it's really smelly. Uh, so maybe you've, been, maybe you've been shopping before, and one of your girlfriends, you know, buys, what's an example of clothing that girls wear? Buys a blouse, okay? <laughs> is, is blouse, is that something? Okay. People probably, girls probably should be wearing more blouses, Okay. I think that implies like long pilgrim-esque dresses, which would be much better, okay, than what many of you wear, all right? So you, you walk in, you walk in and you see your girlfriend do that, and you're like, you know what, I need one of those, okay? How, how many of you have ever bought a car like immediately after a friend did, you know? You heard a friend got a car and then you w went online and got approved for a loan for like 40000 right? Right? Oh, I need one of those. A 2013 Corvette convertible, that's super practical, good gas mileage, you know? No, oh, it's a VH, ignoramuses, right? Like, if you make impulsive decisions that are based on the things of others, then your heart really struggles with coveting. Here's what James 3 says about this issue. Uh, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every evil and vile practice. 
So this is a pretty lighthearted issue then, wouldn't you agree? Listen, coveting is so intense that it even caused Abraham to do this. Check this out from Genesis. Unbelievable. Now, there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. Check this out. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. Okay? And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is, this is his wife. They will kill me, but they will let you live. So he's worried about not coveting in his heart, but other people coveting his wife. Okay? Look what happens. Say you are my sister. Uh, listen, females, once you get married, if your husband ever says, hey, we're going to go to a work party tonight, and it'd be way better if you told everyone that you're my sister. So if you can put on a, you know, a name tag, we'll say it's your maiden name or whatever. Uh, listen, like run away from that dude, okay? He says, look, just say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. Hey, look at the beautiful woman, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Well, the end of the story is, Pharaoh ends up finding out that she was Abram's wife because God brings down like all kinds of diseases on Pharaoh's household. And Pharaoh's like, why didn't you tell me the truth? I'm a pagan. You're supposed to be a man of God. What are you doing? This is what coveting does. Whether it's coveting in your heart, fearful of others, it is a powerful, powerful piece of our hearts. So the question is, what's the answer? Uh, thankfully, there is one. I'm just not so sure that you're ready to hear it. I'm not so sure I'm ready to hear it. Because it's way easier said than done. In fact, I would say we have mastered the art of saying it and not doing it. Here's what 1 Thessalonians says. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. One side is a life filled with constantly measuring up, with constantly dealing with the turmoil in your heart that someone else has something more. That will always be the case. Will there ever be a day in your life where there's someone that doesn't have more than you? No, every single day of your life, that will be the reality. So if you covet you will live your life here, utterly and entirely exhausted, always discontent, always in your heart breeding painful, painful wounds. The other side is grateful. The other side is thankful. The other side, in all circumstances, cancer, complete turmoil and chaos, the loss of relationship. This side says, look, I don't care what happens to this. At the end of the day, I still have Christ. Here's the reason why these two lives are so detrimental to the world. Because the world is watching the church live coveting lives. And what does a coveting life communicate? We don't have enough. We're not fulfilled. We're not sanctified. We need more. But what does the thankful heart say? The thankful heart says, I have everything I need in Christ. Do you see the difference? So the world sees churches saying, we don't have enough. We need more. We're going to make decisions just like you. And then the world's like, why in the world would I ever want that God? 
I already have that heart. Instead, the church must embrace a true, genuine heart of gratitude that says we can lose it all, but because we have Christ, we have it all. And if the world sees that, then they're curious. Then they want to know. And listen to this. The irony is then they get to serve a jealous God that desires them. Come on. And all of a sudden, the covetousness that's sinful is seen in the genuine heart of God in pursuing his people with reckless abandon. It's beautiful. So I just want to ask you tonight, how's that going for you? Where do you find yourself on that scale? Breeding contention to the name of Jesus by living a coveting life? Or do you find your heart in all circumstances saying, God, thank you that even though this is incredibly difficult, I still have you. And ultimately, that's all I need. Did he save the best for last? Well, let's see how the people respond. Not well. When all the people, verse 18, saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. Did you guys ever go to the Indiana Jones, uh, like Universal Studio show, right? So imagine a kid, like, because I was a kid when I went to that show and I thought the world was ending, you know? Look at this. This is like this. The people, the scripture says, were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. Their reaction to hearing the thunderous, volume-filled voice of God is they back away. And then they say to Moses, verse 19, you speak to us and we will listen. Okay? You're, you're a man. And, and Mo, like Moses, I know earlier we wanted to kill you, kind of, but, but listen, we're going to make a deal. Okay? You speak. We'll listen, but here's what they say. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Uh, There has been a massive cultural shift in Christendom. 30 years ago, you could not listen to a sermon outside of the pastor that you were sitting underneath. And if you wanted to re-listen to a sermon, you had a tape or an 8-track. I know many of you have never even heard of an 8-track, but it played audio files on film, Okay? (laughs) I know it's crazy, right? It happened, okay? Now, at your access, you could fill day after day and minute after minute with sermon after sermon of not just bad preaching, but of some of the best ever. I mean, guys who are brilliant, guys like Driscoll and Chandler and Piper and Spurgeon. You're probably not listening to Spurgeon um, because he died a long time ago, but... If you are, uh, then please send me the link, right? Because it's from the grave, and I'm sure entirely powerful. Most of you obviously haven't heard of Spurgeon. You need to repent. Anyway, (laughs) Spurgeon? I'm not sure. That sounds like a shampoo. Anyway, you have that at your access. Some of you have found more consolation in coming here or another church community or listening to an audio file you found more solace in listening to the words of man than resting in the words of God. I'm not saying that God doesn't use all kinds of vehicles. God uses teaching. God uses 
Piper and Driscoll and Chandler and all these great communicators. Maybe some of you have been encouraged here. God uses the voices of man, but never, never to cloud his own voice. In other words, a sermon will never replace the words of God that you can experience on your own with him intimately with no sermon audio playing in the background. These people say, Moses, please, like, like you're nice and, you know, I'm sure you'll give us the, some pleasantries and we can touch you and, you know, you're like you're kind of a father figure for us. And they say, we don't want God to speak. What they need is God's word. That's why we preach the way that we do here, okay? Now, I, I'm not talking against those who preach topically, but I'm just sharing my own heart. I, I can pull out all kinds of topics, all right? All right, guys, tonight we're going to talk about, you know, how to, how to best do your finances. And then I can find scriptures to support my theories. And then what do you all leave here doing? You all leave here believing that if you're going to become biblically learned, then you need to come up with topics in your mind, then somehow use your glossary and to come up with scriptures that will support your theory. Instead, what do we do here? We teach the Bible verse by verse. Why? Because God's word can be studied that way by you at home. I've literally been wrestling with these four verses for two weeks, two weeks, four verses. That's been like the only text I've studied. Why? Because there's so much here. And by teaching like this and preaching like this, the hope is you all leave here believing you will get more in your room, Bible open, by yourself, spirit speaking, than you will in a sermon. And when that happens, guess what happens? The body comes alive because they're not waiting on the words of man. They've been waiting on the words of God, and those words have changed them. That's what happens with God's word. I don't understand why the two greatest struggles in Christendom are reading God's word and praying. It makes no sense. Those should be the things we're the strongest in because they're feeding us. Imagine if you walked in here already having studied these four verses. You had spent two weeks too. You'd be sitting there right now being like, God showed me that too, Mark. You know, you're not so smart. <laughs> and that's exactly the point. I am not. God's called me to communicate it, but his word is his word. You guys see what I'm saying? I'm not some crafter of the scripture. I just get to talk about it. And the same spirit that's in me is, in, is the same spirit that's in believers in this room, which means there's unity in the spirit, and he's probably saying the same thing to you. And so if you come in here prepared, not waiting on the words of man, I'm telling you, God will do mighty works. I'm just saying the reaction of insecurity is man better feed us because it's spoon-fed and easy and comfortable instead of just sitting, even at times struggling to know how to read God's word and what to get from it. I'm just saying, guys, the word is alive. It's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. I'm pleading with you. Do not make this same mistake, especially in a culture that is fostering it. I almost wish at times we could go back to where sermons weren't accessible and where people actually had to read their Bibles to learn. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, and I love this, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. In other words, he says, listen, don't be afraid in terms of fearing God. 
Fear God in a reverent way, in an awing way. Beginning of last summer, kind of come to a headway in my life in many regards. God was convicting me on a lot of things that needed to change. And so I started studying biblical purity. Unfortunately, in our culture, purity is only talked about with sexuality, and it's a darn shame. Because what I realized is impurity is possible at every second, in, in like every moment of any, every day, not just sexually. Financial impurities, conversational impurities. You and I could just start having a conversation right now, and the possible impurity in these 30 seconds is astounding. What is he saying, and what does he mean, and how is he responding to me, and what is he thinking in his heart about me? Some of you guys had the most impure conversations this evening. Someone else is talking to you, and in your mind, you're rattling off all kinds of criticism that if you were to speak it out of your mouth, they would literally kill you or at least try. True story, right? If you had to speak all of the things that you've thought tonight, right? If, like, all of a sudden you, you had to speak some of the thoughts you've had about me tonight, right? Like, we might throw down, you know? Like, that's just the reality. This is, this is the depths of our heart. We are impure apart from Christ's people. And so God took me on a journey of biblical purity. So I started reading, repenting, and learning. And the outcome of that, which I did not expect, was that all of a sudden I had a an incredibly healthy understanding of fearing God. I've told my friends, um, this has been the most pure year of my life. And I don't say that in a haughty way, because then you're like, okay, but that wasn't humble, so actually it's impure. I say that to celebrate the fear of God. I've come to this place in my life where there is this balance between knowing that if I sin, God could smite me he could take his little magnifying glass, holding the sun in his hand like he does, and find little Aunt Mark and be like, boop, he gone, you know? <laughs> he could do that. He could do that. He's God. But he doesn't. He's gracious and merciful in Christ. But I, I come to moments of obey or not obey, and that fear overwhelms me. Not a fear of not feeling like I can approach him because I can in Christ. Even specifically the throne of grace, Hebrews says. But I balance that fear with knowing his grace and his love. In other words, I've had a whole new understanding of what Moses is trying to tell the people. Listen, you must see these commandments as gifts. And if you do, then all of a sudden your mind will get blown about the gift giver. And if your heart gets consumed with the gift giver, then these gifts take on a whole new meaning. And then all of a sudden you fear disobeying the gift giver because you know how loving he is. So when you have a chance to look at pornography, when you have a chance to gossip, when you have a chance to covet, when you have a chance to be active sexually outside of marriage, you all of a sudden have this healthy, astounding fear of God. It's not the fear of man or the pleasing of man that comes to the forefront. It is literally no my God has given me a gift and said that these things will destroy my life. God, please help me now. Walk away. Give me strength and courage to sit and stand my ground against these things. And that's what I've been experiencing for the last year. That is what Moses is saying. I'm not saying that I haven't stumbled because I certainly have. But in those moments, I receive his grace 
like a son who's in desperate need of it again, and a father's arms wrap around. Have you ever gotten a gift from someone and it didn't seem like a gift because of who gave it? Right? Like, have you ever had an enemy that threw you a compliment and you wanted to punch him in the face? Right? Like one of your worst enemies one time with like a smirk on their face came up, hey, you, you look really nice tonight. And in your heart, you're like, I, I, I want to hit you and tackle you. Right? <laughs> and if the Lord would will, like, you would die right now. In other words, like the gift is seen often through the eyes of the person who gave it to you. Uh, did you ever get some weird random gift from an, a relative that you didn't know or didn't like? Okay. I remember one time I uh, received... You know, and God love her. She probably just couldn't see, but um, my wife's my wife's grandmother um, bought me a sweater one year, and I was in high school, and you know, a, a strapping young lad, and and uh, and so the strapping mean big. I don't. That's what I meant. I didn't mean like. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I open I open this present, and uh, it's a sweater that probably would have fit on a Cabbage Patch Kid. Okay. <laughs> Like, I held it up, and it, like, barely would have gotten over my hands, you know? Like, it would, they, it would have made a nice mitten, you know? <laughs> and so in my heart, I'm like, Grandma, um, like, well, seriously? You know? Like, I'm, I'm trying to be slender, but I'm not so sure this is going to work, you know? And, and, and the gift, like, the gift was completely jaded because of the one who gave it. Like, I, I really didn't respect her, you know? It was kind of a long story in history, but... What if all of a sudden your mind changes about the gifts because you respect, awe, fear, and love the one who gives it? Well, if that's the case, then all of a sudden you start looking at the Ten Commandments and you wonder what the heck we're doing. Is our issue disobedience? Or is our issue, we just don't see God as loving, good, and gracious? Is the issue not that we don't see these things as gifts? But the issue is that we question the gift giver. That's what the people are doing. Like, I'm not so sure, God, that, that these are the best ways to live. And especially if they're coming from you, we'd rather have a man speak to us. But be encouraged by what Moses does. The people stood far off. That's what they did. Insecure, scared, fearful. While Moses what? Come on. While Moses what? He drew near to the thick darkness where God was. I love the descriptive word thick darkness there, don't you? Because it's a little bit unknown. But what's unknown about God, Moses trusts because of God. Come on. What is unknown about God, Moses trusts because of God. And so he goes to where God is. And he says, I trust that you're a good gift giver. So now help me live in light of that. We're lawbreakers. This list of ten commandments, throw them up there for me. I mean, good luck with those. There's adulterers in here and murderers in here in the heart. There's those who covet all the time. There's those who aren't doing a darn of honoring their father and mother. The gossipers are here that taking the Lord's name in vain. Some of you said GD bombs today. I mean, all of these, we are law 
breakers. So the question is like, well, what are we going to do? What's the answer? How can we exist? How can the lawbreakers then somehow see God as a good gift giver? That is why Christ completely fulfilled the law to save the lawbreakers by keeping the law himself. Therefore, making the law to us not bondage but freedom. Why? Because we could see the law for what it is. Is God saying this way is the best way to live? Not legalism. Not a dictator pointing his finger in your face, but a God with his arms open wide saying, listen, your life will be so much better if you don't covet the things that others have. Because when you don't, you say that you have all you need in me. Your life will be better if you don't take my name in vain. Because there's only one name that stands eternally. Every other name will be written on a tombstone. And when my name tried to be, I walked out of the tomb. You guys see what I'm saying? So what do we do, church? Tonight, we celebrate. Why? Because the adulterers are here. And the murderers are here. And the coveting hearts are here. You're like, well, Mark, what's the celebration in that? I'll tell you why we celebrate. We celebrate because grace is yours, church. It's a new day. Though you walked in here with the most coveting heart known to man, the scripture says you can be completely restored in Christ. Repentance is at our hands tonight. Today is the day of salvation, scripture says. We tonight, as the church, can receive his grace and live on this side of the coin that shows the world that Christ is all we need because Christ is all we have. That's our chance. That's why we celebrate. That's why we can come together tonight in our brokenness, in our repentance, and say, God, here's my exposed heart. I am messed up, but I know in you I'm something more than a slave. I'm a son and a daughter of the king. And so tonight, listen, we've we've provided an opportunity for us to take something with us. We've shown videos every week of testimony. Tonight we all testify. We've had opportunities for people to respond in baptism tonight. Maybe for you, it's, it's a different response. On both of these tables, listed all around, every Ten Commandment, on both tables, and in front of them, passages, scripture, encouragements. So for the adulterers, we have right in front of that commandment a, a, pa- a text that you can pray through and read and worship through and focus on. Our answer tonight is Christ as lawbreakers, and God has given us his word written on our heart, put in a text that we can read so that we can be empowered as the church to live in freedom. So tonight will be an opportunity for us to respond. Some of you, it'll be praying against the wall or grabbing the hands of friends and praying for strength and encouragement. Others of you, this whole time will just be repenting. Maybe you've realized your, uh, your, your coveting heart. Maybe tonight the adulterers will finally repent and say no more. Maybe the pornographers tonight will say, I'm not, I don't desire one more day to live in that. God, please give me a fear of you that I can understand that there's something better for me. And on and on. We want this whole place tonight just to turn into a place of worship, of grace. So feel free to come and grab one of these 
passages that go along with the commandment that maybe you're wrestling with or struggling with, feel free to head to the back of the room and grab hands and pray or kneel up here and plead to the Lord. This is a time for us as a church to unify. We're the church, the body of Christ. Scripture calls us ambassadors. We're ambassadors of grace, amen? We're ambassadors of love. Listen, we are ambassadors of freedom. So tonight, let's experience the freedom that comes in Christ. Lord, please, for my brothers and sisters and my friends, I ask God for a revealing of the repentance that's needed in our hearts. I thank you that you fulfilled the law that we couldn't. And I pray tonight, God, that you would, in a stronger, deeper way than you ever have, that you would breathe life into our law-breaking hearts and help us trust that you're a good gift giver. So meet us where we're at tonight as a dad who loves us. Church, respond when you're ready tonight.